It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Back in 1989, 20 years ago, Anissa Ayala of Los Angeles was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia. A bone marrow transplant was her only hope to survive, but neither she or her parents or her younger brother had bone marrow that matched hers. Even a massive campaign to recruit new donors on a national registry produced no matches for Anissa. That's when her parents, age 44 and 42, decided to have another baby to save her life. Even though they knew the chances of the new baby being a match were only one in four, Mary and Abe saw this as their only option to save their daughter. Abe had a vasectomy reversal, and incredibly, Mary got pregnant at age 42. Their prayers were answered, and new baby Marissa turned out to be a perfect match. At age 14 months, she donated her marrow to big sister Anissa, without, of course, having much say in the matter. The treatment worked perfectly, and today, 20 years later, Anissa enjoys perfect health and is very close to her younger sister. You know, friends, this is not the first time that a baby was born specifically to be a savior. Stay with us. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And this is just, I think, the very best way to use the technology of radio to broadcast out there uh, the truth of God's Word, to receive questions from people who are seeking to understand, claiming the promise, if we seek, we will find. And the Bible is our source book. Uh, Not only are we on radio, but we're streaming this program right now on the Internet. You can go to the Amazing Facts Facebook page, or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, and you'll see the program streaming. You can see it as well as hear it. And uh, my name is Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we have this uh, time to open up your word and study together. We do ask for your Holy Spirit to come and guide our hearts, our minds. Lord, we know that uh, this is a sacred book, and we need your guidance. So do those who are listening and bless us here in the studio. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Day, you opened the program by talking about, well, a special birth that was predetermined or planned to save somebody else's life. (laughs) That's an incredible story. You can imagine how close those sisters must be today, as you mentioned, uh, especially the one that received life from her youngest sister. And, um, you know, it's remarkable. It it warms our heart when we see such commitment and just uh, devotion and love amongst the family, amongst siblings. Yeah, it is a it's a very touching story, and uh, it's remarkable how close they the two sisters are, even though they're you know like sixteen years apart. 
Marissa teases her older sister saying, you know, I could always play the savior card and say, look, you got to do this for me because I was, <laughs> I saved your life. <laughs> but she says she doesn't do that. And, uh, so they, they, uh, and then her, her older sister said, well, you wouldn't be alive if I hadn't gotten sick. <laughs> and so they, they have fun making light of it. But it makes us think of something that is very real in the Bible. The Bible tells us that God sent his son into the world for the purpose of being a savior. Now, little Marissa was able to donate some bone marrow and live. But for Jesus to save us, he needed to die. And so he was born to die to save us, but praise the Lord, he rose again. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of who I am chief. And the angel said to Mary, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people, not from leukemia, but from sin. And we have a free offer that we'd like to make available to you if you'd like to know more about that incredible redemption, that story of salvation, you will be encouraged and inspired by reading this. We have a book called The High Cost of the Cross, and that we'll make available to anyone who calls and asks. It's free, just a great resource, something you can read. It's got a lot of scripture in there, talking about the great plan of redemption. It's called The High Cost of the Cross. The phone number is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. And if you have a Bible question, the phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. Again, that's 800-463-7297. We're going to go to the phone lines. Uh, we got Lou listening in uh, Sacramento. Lou, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Bachelor and Pastor Ross. Hi. Hello. I'm calling because my understanding is that, according to the Bible, there's only one definition of sin, which is 1 John 3, 4, and it's supported by Romans 3, 20. And based on my experience, I noticed that many people don't know what sin is according to the Bible. Yeah, let me read this for our friends. 1 John 3, 4, it says, Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness or transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And so when we sin, we break the law. Now, there there are some other definitions of sin, just to, to be fair. Uh, the Bible also says all unrighteousness is sin. And then anything that is not of faith is sin. But the best, most concise definition is when we break God's law, it is a sin. To steal is a sin. To lie is a sin. To commit adultery or kill is a sin. And so, uh, yeah, some people, they don't understand that uh, it's not that complicated what sin is. And I understand. And I'm thinking that the Word of God is is the, the Bible is God's word, and He knows exactly um, how shall I say it? The truth. He knows the truth, and the Bible is present truth. It is the truth, and His voice can be heard in that sacred book. So when He says that sin is the transgression of it, of the law, He means that, and I believe that He's very referring to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And also, I'd like to mention, and secondly, is that. In closing, that um, I think that many people today, since we're living pretty close to the end of time, need a, a what is it, resurrection power in their hearts. And to the, the, the scripture uh, introduction first, thus saith the Lord, and I quote, Wherefore he saith, wherefore he saith, awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ 
shall give the light, which is a spiritual awakening. And I praise the Lord for those beautiful scriptures. All right. Well, hey, we appreciate that. Thank you so much, Lou. And yeah, it is true. People need to rediscover the, the power of God's word and receive the conviction that comes from it. You know, we have a book. It uh, goes along with the subject. It's called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? Yeah, of course, as a Christian, that's the goal. That's what you want to do. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? Actually, it's an encouraging book, and I think you'll enjoy it. We have Chris who's listening in Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you, pastors. Uh, I have a question about... Uh Again, <laughs> returning subject of keeping the Sabbath. And I would like to go to Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah 58, verse 13, 13 through 14. All right, do you want me to read that for people? Yes, please. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, holy of the Lord and honorable, and will honor him, not doing your own ways or finding your own pleasure or speaking your own words, then you will delight yourself in the Lord and I'll cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what is your question on that verse? My question is that for those who keep the Sabbath, don't you think they should keep as close to the restrictions here as possible? Of course. Yeah, of course, we should follow what the Word of God says. The Bible talks about keeping the Sabbath holy. That not only here in Isaiah, it's telling us that in uh, the commandment itself, both in Deuteronomy 5 that someone cited a moment ago, as well as in Exodus 20 and everywhere else. Yeah, you know, people do ask about the Sabbath, and uh, is it relevant for Christians today? We do have a, a, a study guide that talks about it. It's called The Lost Day of History, and this, of course, is free to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the study guide. It's simply called The Lost Day in History. Thank you for your call, Chris. We have Doug listening in Long Beach, California. Doug, welcome to the program. Hi, pastors. Hi. Um, my, my question has to deal with uh, forgiveness and trust. Uh, not in a marriage setting, but more of a, like siblings and other relatives. Now, do you have to truly, in order to truly forgive, do you have to truly trust? Because that's where I'm having a problem with. No. Well, there's no, there's, you can forgive a person and know that they've got a weakness and you don't want to, you don't want to tempt them or put them in a position where you're setting them up to fall. Uh, I can, you know, there can be someone who could offend me or take advantage of me and I can choose to forgive them. It doesn't mean that they're a trustworthy person because I forgive them. You do not have to, I can forgive people and decide I'm never going to do business with them again because I don't trust them, but I can forgive them. I don't know that you're required to forgive and continue to trust people if they're untrustworthy, because some people are just untrustworthy. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, because I have an issue with with, with trusting. It's like you're being taken advantage, and I just needed to clarify that part. Yeah, of course you should forgive people, um, and you know you even want to love your enemies, but it doesn't mean you need to seek out your enemies and hang out with them or do business with them or trust them if they're untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your call, Doug. Well, our next caller that we have is Chase listening in Illinois. Chase, welcome to the program. Hi, Gene Ross. Um, um, this is my first time being on here. Um, I tried to call before, but it didn't, um, I didn't do it right. But um, my question that I have for you all today, it's, I try to keep it a little short. Um, it's 
could you explain the process of justification, sanctification, and glorification um, regarding baptism? Yeah, well, I'll take a start at it. First of all, for our friends listening, salvation's kind of broke up into three areas. Justification, we come to the Lord just like we are, and like the thief on the cross, we accept the forgiveness of Jesus for all our past sins, and he declares us forgiven, not based on future promises or behavior, but just by faith. Uh, sanctification is then after you've accepted Jesus, you continue following him and you learn to be holy, a saint, or, and uh, it's a new way of living. Glorification is when we're ultimately saved from the presence of sin when you're in glory in heaven. And, you know, as Jesus was resurrected and he was glorified with his glorified body, um, the holy eternal body, where no one really goes into glorification from baptism. But when you're baptized, you're justified by faith. But even before baptism, you should be experiencing some sanctification. Then you're baptized and you're learning to follow the Lord in sanctification. It's kind of like the children of Israel are a great example. They were saved by faith in the Passover lamb. They began their journey out of Egypt right after the Passover lamb. They then crossed the Red Sea. So after they were saved by faith in the Lamb, that's justification. They hadn't done any good works or deserved it. They went through the Red Sea. They didn't even have faith to go through the Red Sea until it parted first. And then they get to Mount Sinai, and in the wilderness, they're learning to live a holy life. There are lots of ups and downs, and that was the sanctification process. When they cross into the Holy Land, uh, that's a glorification. And when we go into the promised land, heaven, that's glorification. Yeah. You know, I heard it one way, Pastor Doug. It's uh, justification is being defined as freedom from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. Sanctification is being defined as freedom from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit works within us. And glorification has been defined as freedom from the presence of sin. So from the penalty, the power, and the presence. Perfect. Does that help a little bit, Chase? No, that, that definitely helps a lot. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, thanks so much. You know, uh, we do have a gift book. We'll send you a free copy. It's called Justification Assurance, Justification Made Simple. Yeah, that would be a great gift, and it's free. All you need to do is call 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book called uh, Justification. No, wait. It's called Assurance, Justification Made Simple. It's one of our newer books. Again, 800-835-6747. Ask for the book. Assurance, justification made simple. And if you have a Bible question, our phone line is 800-463-7297. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation in Eden. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. We've got Dan listening in Cleveland, Ohio. Dan, welcome to the program. Yeah, hello. I have a, a question 
um, that I've wondered about in terms of um, um, Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. My question is, um, if if there were angels that rebelled against God, um, and they were in heaven, how can that be if heaven is supposed to be a place of perfect satisfaction for everything and everyone? That's what makes this verse uh, so uh, startling, is it's telling us that even in the perfect presence of God in the capital of the universe, wherever that is, that there was a rebellion that broke out that was so severe. Of course, it's it's uh, dribbled into our world, and, and it is shocking. But the Bible says it, so you you know you're asking the question like if there were angels, it's pretty clear there were because it tells us that the devil and his angels were cast out. The devil and up to one third of the angels, it seems to say, they joined Lucifer in this rebellion. Okay, I I could understand. I understand that because the, the Bible mentions it, but I'm pondering that how can the angels, uh, obviously if they rebelled, they were unhappy about something or unsatisfied. Um, how could anyone or anything be unsatisfied if you were in heaven? And would that possibly mean that if we eventually go to heaven, we would find something that we're unsatisfied with? Um, not, obviously not rebel, but to maybe, you know, how you would complain, I guess. Well, I, I'll do my best to answer, but let me answer your question with a question. What reason did Adam and Eve have to be unhappy in the Garden of Eden? Wasn't it paradise? But it was not heaven. Heaven to me is the ultimate, ultimate uh, place that anyone can exist. Heaven was paradise also. A matter of fact, it uses that word. Everything God made in the Garden of Eden, it says it was good, good, very good. He declared it wonderful. And yet, in spite of having no earthly dissatisfaction, the devil planted dissatisfaction in the mind of Eve. You're not, you don't have all the power God has. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. That's the exact same thing the devil did with the angels. He said, you know, we can't create. We can't do everything God can do. It's not fair. And he was able to sow seeds of dissatisfaction and rebellion until it, it broke out in the war. And you know, the Bible's only telling us as much as we can understand about this. I'm sure that there's a lot more complex issues happening in the realm of God and angels. Certainly. And, and I guess the premise of my question is then, um, obviously, this, this occurred, but, and, and I'm speculating, obviously, but is it possible that we, we could end up in heaven and still be longing for something? Or would we have complete fulfillment and satisfaction once we're there? I think we're going to have perfect satisfaction. Uh, the Bible tells us sin will not rise up a second time in the book of Nahum, chapter 1. And we're going to know all of the accusations, all of the charges that the devil leveled against God have been proven false. And so I, I don't think that argument will work anymore in eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the uh, items that we're talking about here, some of the verses actually are uh, mentioned and expanded upon in our study guide called, Did God Create a Devil? That'd be perfect. And I think that uh, deals with the very question you're asking. 
if God is perfect and he created a perfect angel, where did sin come from? We'll send that out to you, Dan, or anyone who calls and asks. It's 800-835-6747. And ask for the study guide called Did God Create a Devil? We've got Chris listening in Nebraska. Chris, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, ask what type of scrolls or Bible was Jesus using in the synagogues? And how many different Bibles would there be from that point up until like the Reformation in the 1300s? Well, when you say how many different kinds of Bibles, uh, the the books that Jesus would have been reading from, there was no New Testament. Jesus was reading from the, the Torah. He was reading from the law. When he stood up and he read from Isaiah, for example, it's the same Isaiah, the same book, except, you know, we're reading an English translation. That uh, I was l- looking into this, and I was hearing about the Geneva Bible and the Anglo-Saxon, I can't pronounce it right, and stuff like that. But I don't know if those were before or after Jesus. Good, yeah, good question. The, the Geneva Bible and the Anglo-Saxon Bible, all the English translations, they all came after the time of Christ. Now, of course, at the time of Jesus, there was no New Testament that came after Christ. So the scrolls that Jesus used were the Old Testament scrolls. They were accepted by uh, the religious leaders as being inspired. You had the books of Moses, the books of the prophets, and that's what Jesus quoted from. And then you have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which date back to the time of Christ. And you can compare the writing of the Dead Sea Scrolls with our Bibles today. And um, indeed, it is very accurate. It's um, the same same message so uh yeah those probably were the scrolls that jesus used it would be the ones really now of course when we say scrolls we're not talking about a single scroll uh the scrolls were copied and recopied and recopied so they were copies of the original but still very trustworthy and accurate we have a gift book called uh the ultimate resource on the bible we'll be happy to send you a free copy chris all you'll have to do is call our resource number. It's 800-835-6747 and ask for the book called The Ultimate Resource. That's 800-835-6747. We have Henry listening in uh, Bronx, New York. Henry, welcome to the program. Yes, how are you, pastors? Uh, my question is uh, um, Adam and Eve, they had two sons, right? Right. I, uh, Cain killed Abel, didn't he? Yes. Uh, they said he found his wife. Where did she come from? Yeah, well, that's a good question. We get it, we get it frequently. People start reading through the Bible, and by chapter 5, they're wondering uh, where Cain got his wife. Uh, actually, by chapter 4. But you see, there's Adam and Eve, and then you know Adam and Eve have Seth. And it says Cain took his wife. Where did she come from? Was there, were there other people? Adam and Eve, you read in chapter 5 of Genesis, it says they had sons and daughters. There were many children they lived hundreds of years and they probably who knows they might have had 10 dozen kids i mean we don't know what they had i was wondering um, what number you were going to pick yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> um you know there's I, I i think the world record for one husband and wife the most children is 69 children a russian lady and her husband had 69 children over the course of her bearing years must have been a lot of twins they did they actually had several sets of twins and one or two sets of triplets yeah, they were following, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with marrying your sister back then. Adam and Eve actually were both related to God when you think about it. The human genes were perfect. It wasn't until you get to the time of, of uh, Moses that they started saying, brother should not be looking upon the nakedness of his sister. 
you weren't supposed to marry close kin. Hope that helps a little bit, but uh, Cain married probably one of his sisters. All right, next caller that we have is Caleb listening from Rockland, Washington. Uh, Caleb, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, Caleb. And your question tonight. Um, why was Daniel the only one who got visions and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not? That's right. Daniel had three close friends when he was in Babylon, and they, they stood up with him when they decided not to eat the king's food. They also prayed with Daniel when all the wise men were going to be destroyed, and God answered their prayers, and uh, Daniel was given the vision. God gives different gifts to different people. Some people can sing, and some people have the gift of being a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist, and the Bible tells us some people have the gift of dreams or interpretation of dreams or prophecy. Daniel had the gift of prophecy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were very brave godly people they stood up even though they went to a furnace but they didn't have that gift god gives his different gifts to different people not all are prophets good question caleb thank you for calling be a faithful daniel yourself that's right uh next caller that we have let's see we've got uh leah listening in um los angeles leah welcome to the program we have just a few minutes hi uh pastor hi um good evening hi I do have a question on the, um, what's this, Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. Um, I was, uh, you know, I uh, uh, saw this Jewish rabbi claim that the grammatical tense that was used uh, on the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, was uh, past tense, indicating that the event being referred in the past, but uh, in our King James Bible, um, obviously it's using present tense. I'm confused, Pastor. I just need a clarification of that. Thank you. Thank you. Good question. I appreciate that, Leah. Uh, it actually says, in, and this is the place where it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be or shall be upon his shoulders. Well, that's it reads that way also even in the Hebrew Bible. And his name will be called, future tense, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Again, still speaking about the future. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. Well, when Isaiah wrote this, this Savior who is going to sit on the throne of David had not been born yet. Uh, I know that this verse and other passages in Isaiah 53 make some of uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters a little uh, uncomfortable because they seem to be very powerful prophecies pointing to Jesus as the Messiah that are hard to deny. And so it sounds like, you know, they're trying to dismiss them by saying, oh, well, that was past tense. But in, even in the Hebrew Bible, I've seen it. It says will. It's using the future tense language. Now, I can't read Hebrew, but that's the English versions of the Hebrew Bible that I've read. Thank you, Leah. I hope that helps a little bit. Hey, friends, uh, don't go anywhere. We're just taking a brief break and get a drink of water and do some station identification. Come back with more Bible questions in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? 
It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. We know we're here, but we're not here for very long. So the most important thing would be if we could learn during this life how to live forever. This is the central focus of Amazing Facts. I think it's very important for us to build churches. But if the churches lose the message of salvation, they just become buildings and shells. I think it's important to have a medical ministry and build hospitals. But if they separate that from the message of salvation, you just prolong a sinner's life for a little while. That's why for years, Amazing Facts has made it our focus to present the saving truth that sets people free. And friends, we want to thank you for your support and your gifts. We'll do our very best to convert those resources into the currency of heaven. May God bless you and keep Amazing Facts in your prayers. Deep within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes, heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning, and he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a Savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light. Seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Hello, listening friends. Welcome back. If you've tuned in along the way to Bible Answers Live, and we are, as the title suggests, a Bible answer program. We do our best to answer your Bible questions or questions about living a Christian life from the Bible. You can listen on this station or you can watch on Facebook if you want to see what's going on. It's 100 degrees here in Sacramento, so we're wearing our Hawaiian shirts today. And that's at the Doug Batchelor Facebook site or the Amazing Facts Facebook page. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and we're ready for our next caller. We have uh, Chakalia calling from New Jersey. Chakalia, welcome to the program. It's Chava Lea. Chava as an Adam Chava. You know, we were just discussing on the break how exactly do we pronounce your name, so thanks for helping us with that. It's Chava as in the Hebrew Adam Chava which is Adam and Eve. I don't know where they got the Eve from, but Chava is the original Hebrew. And Leah, who is the second wife of our patriarch Jacob. I know. I've got a daughter named Rachel Leah. So anyway, your question. Okay. 
uh, in Exodus, when the Ten Commandments are given, we read, Honor thy father and thy mother. However, in Deuteronomy, it's written, Honor thy mother and thy father. Why is the difference? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Honor your father and mother. But you might be talking about Leviticus 19.3, where it says, Honor your mother and father. Possibly, yes. Both should be honored. Are you just saying, why is there a switch in the sequence? Yes. You know, I think that Moses in Leviticus, he, he flipped it around just to show that, especially when children are young, that they spend most of their time with the mother in the home. Father might be out working in the fields, and they are to be respecting their mothers. As they get a little older, then their uh, boys might be spending more time with their fathers. And so I don't think it changes the meaning. Do you? Uh, I believe there might be an interpretation as to why there is a difference. Uh, what, and what would that be? Perhaps in the Talmud. I don't think there's a difference. It says, honor your father and mother, honor your mother and your father. That's, yeah, that could be I mean, both honor your parents. Right. And then you go to Colossians 3 where it says, everyone should honor their parents in the Lord. Okay, well, our next caller that we have then is Brian, listening in Spokane. Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for your dedication to this program and answering questions. My question today re relates to kingdom building, and I'm just curious if there's any reference in the Bible that that indicates that heaven is currently growing in size, or that there's been anybody that's been created or born in heaven since the creation of man? Well, that's a good question. I'm thinking as as you're asking the question, you know, there you have some verses in Revelation that talk about the creatures in heaven around the throne of God. Uh, of course, heaven will grow. It's going to be populated with the redeemed. I don't know, Pastor Ross, do you think of any verses that say that uh, heaven is growing? You know, it almost seems as though creation was, in one sense, almost uh, the pause button was hit while this rebellion came up with Satan, and that's been resolved, or uh, it's in the process of being resolved. Um, we know that there won't be babies being born uh, in heaven, at least not from those who are resurrected at the second coming. Jesus says they shall be as the angels. They neither marry, neither give any marriage. So, uh, of course, the angels don't procreate. Um, it's a good question. I mean, the Bible does not say specifically uh, if God is still currently creating, but it seems as though the focus at this point is what's happening on earth and playing out the great controversy. Yeah, I think God has pressed the pause button on new creations until we get the the redemption problem settled. Fair enough. Thank you, guys, so much. That's I was just curious about that. I mean, in essence, we're we're kingdom building, but um, we that won't happen until the second coming. Yeah, I don't think God is done creating because the universe is infinite. God is infinite. He loves to create, and I think as the endless eons roll by, He will continue to create more. Gotcha. Thank you, guys. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Next caller that we have is uh, Kashia listening from New Orleans. Kashia, welcome to the program. Hello. You're on the air. Hi. Thanks for calling. Yes. Good night. Congratulations on your program. I've been watching you for over a year. Calling from Honduras. Well, bless your heart. Thank you so much. My son and I are listening tonight, 13-year-old, and he questioned, he asked me a question today. And I decided uh, to call so he can ask to you directly. He wants to know what heaven's like, what kind of clothes will he be wearing, and if he will be bored in heaven. Because 
he, I told him I, he wasn't need his, his tablet in heaven. <laughs> well, I, I don't think he's going to have to worry about being bored. I promise that uh, the Bible says in Psalm 16, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so there will always be something there that is going to be a, a, a blessing and challenging his mind. As far as clothes, uh, we're going to have uh, garments, I think, that are made out of light. The Lord is giving to people garments that are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And just like Adam and Eve had these garments of light before they sinned, I think we're going to have these robes of righteousness. Don't think we're going to have robes that are made out of fig leaves or cotton or skin. And there will be endless opportunities to do things. It says that children will play with the animals in heaven. Bible does talk about, uh, it says the New Jerusalem children playing in the streets of it. And uh, we'll mount up with wings like eagles, we'll run and not be weary, we'll walk and not faint. It seems to imply we can fly. So the idea of being bored, uh, perish the thought. It, there'll be uh, endless opportunities and activities for heaven. The Bible talks about building houses in the new earth and planting gardens and eating the fruit thereof. So, uh, matter of fact, we have a study guide called Colossal City in Space that talks a little bit about heaven, at least the New Jerusalem. And if you haven't seen this, um, Kashia, I think you'd enjoy it. You can share it with uh, your family. The number is 800-835-6747 if you're in North America. Uh, if you're not in North America, all you'll need to do is go to the Amazing Facts website, amazingfacts.org. You'll be able to read that study guide on heaven for free. Next caller that we have is uh, Jenny listening from Detroit, Michigan. Jenny, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, your question. Thank you for taking my call. My question my question um, has to do with um, what what does the Bible say about um, what, what, how should a spouse respond when they're in a abusive marriage? Um, a, a, not physically abusive, but emotionally and verbally abusive. Well, that's that is a difficult question. Um, but first, let me tell you, I wrote a book that uh, will send you a free copy. And it's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And I don't know if you're asking about yourself or in behalf of a friend. The Bible criteria for grounds for divorce, now I'm not talking about separation, but divorce, uh, is if the marriage vows have been broken by infidelity. You need to be very careful when we start saying uh, abuse. We're talking about emotional abuse. Because it is so hard to draw the line on, you know, some, I have seen some couples where there was tremendous emotional abuse from the husband and the wife. Just, I sure wouldn't want to live with it. It was um, pretty bad. Uh, just one person is constantly being put down and degraded and humiliated and no physical abuse, but terrible emotional abuse and manipulation and just unbearable circumstances. You know, sometimes you may have to separate until the other party agrees to counseling and you may have to permanently separate. But as far as divorce, usually people divorce because then they look forward to getting remarried at some point. You've got to be very careful. Everyone starts calling everything abuse. Every argument becomes abuse. You've got to be careful that um, sometimes the terminology is not abused. Uh, and yet there are very real cases of um, serious mistreatment in marriage situations and that need counseling. It's easier if both parties are Christian and they'll agree to it makes it difficult if one is a believer and the other is not and they don't agree to counseling sometimes you need to take some drastic steps 
Again, I think that book that you have, Pastor Doug, uh, deals with the subject, and I think it'll be helpful for anyone wanting to learn more about what does the Bible say about marriage. It's called Marriage, Divorce, Remarriage. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And just ask for the book on marriage, and we'll send it out to you. We have Robert, who is listening. Uh, Robert, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Ross. Hello, Pastor Doug. Hi, thanks for calling. Yes, my question was uh, regarding 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. It says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Some people that I've talked to believe that uh, because of the resurrection, everyone gets to live forever kind of thing because of this verse. Right. It's because it says, In Christ all shall be made alive. Well, technically, everyone is resurrected by the power of Christ the wicked are raised for judgment. Uh, Daniel says, many of those that uh, sleep in the dust of the earth, this is Daniel 12, will come forth. They that have done good, the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, the resurrection, I'm mixing two verses, I'm mixing John 10 and Daniel 12. Uh, Daniel talks about the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus says there is a resurrection of life and a resurrection of damnation. Uh, So you've got both resurrections that they're being brought forth by the power of Christ that doesn't mean that they're being brought forth to be given eternal life they're being brought forth for the great white throne judgment see what I'm saying uh-huh so if people use this verse and they say well we're all being resurrected by Christ that means everyone's being saved this verse doesn't say that just in the same way that through it's just that people are being resurrected by by Christ's power by his power not by Satan's power yeah Satan has no power to give life Christ is going to call forth the dead uh, for for their judgment. Though after the one thousand years, the rest of the dead who are the wicked are raised. And in the same way, it says, "For in Adam all die." Well, does that mean in Adam all are lost? No, it's talking about all the sons of Adam, all humans die because of the sin of Adam. Some die saved, some die lost. So you have to compare this scripture with other scriptures that are very clear that there's two kinds of people that are dead now, the saved and the lost, the dead in Christ and the, the others. Yes, that makes completely sense. Makes complete sense, yeah. Now, we do have a study guide that talks about uh, the resurrection and death. Yes, talking about uh, the second coming of Christ. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Matter of fact, we have one even more specific called Are the Dead Really Dead? Dealing with the subject of death. The number again is 800-835-6747. And as for the study guide, are the dead really dead? We have Penny listening in Michigan. Penny, welcome to the program. Hello. How are you guys? Good. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I'm really nervous here. Um, oh, don't be. What I'm calling about is is um, baptism. If you've already gave your life to God and you're saved, is it necessary that you have to be baptized? Why would you not want to be baptized, Penny? It's just a question because I've always been taught that once you were saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, that was the only thing to go to heaven. Yeah, let me read a couple verses to you. Uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 16 that they're to go into all the world, preach the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, In Matthew 28, Jesus said, uh, go and preach the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul was told by Ananias, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism, the ceremony, there's only two institutions that Jesus gave to the Christian church. You've got the Lord's Supper, communion service, and you have baptism. Uh, 
And baptism is as important to a Christian as a wedding ceremony is to a marriage. It marks the beginning of your commitment. It represents washing away from sin, that you're making a covenant with God to give your life to him and accept his forgiveness. So it's very important. But I wouldn't want anyone to rush into it. I mean, don't you don't have to rush off and grab a pastor and say, can you baptize me tomorrow because I want to make sure I'm saved. I would study it if I were you. So when you do get baptized, you get the most blessing out of it you possibly can. Well, the, the reason, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the reason for, for me asking that is my mother passed in the hospital. She was saved. She lived her life. She lived her life for God. She was saved. She was very ill, and she begged to be baptized. And they wouldn't baptize her until she had a, a full body. You know what I'm saying? Until she could be immersed. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, don't tell your, tell your family not to worry, because the thief on the cross who accepted Jesus, he could not get baptized, and Christ said, you're going to be in heaven. If your mother's heart was that she was willing to, but because of her medical condition, she couldn't. She's going to get credit for Jesus' baptism because Jesus was not baptized for his sin. He was baptized as an example and in behalf of those who can't be. You go to a prison and you, someone comes to the Lord, maybe on death row or in the last hours of their life, and prison may not accommodate a baptism. Well, is baptism going to be an obstacle to that person's salvation? No. It is a ceremony. It's symbolic. Now, it's very important if you can be, that you should be. But if you can't, Christ is not going to exclude someone from heaven because they've accepted him and they can't be baptized. So does that make sense? It sure does. Hey, you still would enjoy the study on the subject and we'll be happy to send you a free copy. And again, the uh, study guide is called, well, I'm thinking of the book called Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? That's the good one right there. A little bit more with that specific question. The number again is 800-835-6747. As for the book called Baptism, is it really necessary? Deep within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes, heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning. And he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a Savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light. Seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from 
knowing God. We've got Rick listening from New Jersey. Rick, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Hi, Pastor Ross. I've, you know, I've listened to Christian radio stations through my life for, for a long time. I think you guys do a great job. I was a little surprised by that. Oh, yeah. Well, most of our customers are pretty happy, but every now and then, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, but... But I listened... Uh, I was reading today about, of course, Saul um, fell from grace, and it says that uh, when he, an evil spirit came upon him, he would have David play the harp or the lyre to soothe the spirit. Right. I was wondering, I know, would that be the first case of demon possession mentioned in the Old Testament? Cause, because I don't think demon possession is really mentioned until Jesus' time. But it was that just maybe a psychological thing with him, or do you think it really was maybe a reference to demon possession for Saul? I think that Saul was demon-possessed, or at least demon-harassed. When he grieved away the spirit, uh, that's when, you know, it says that Lord sent a, a spirit to trouble him. Basically, as Saul rejected the light of God, all that's left is darkness. And And when David would come, and David would just introduce that, that positive spirit and that light, both through his word and music, and it would chase away the demonic influence. But, you know, probably Cain, if you go back a little further in the Bible, uh, Cain was probably at least temporarily possessed by the devil when he killed his brother out of a, a fit of anger. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, you know, there are probably other cases you could point to in the Old Testament where uh, it certainly wasn't the Lord leading some of the characters in their bad behavior. No, that's a good question. I, I do think that Saul was demon-possessed. Ultimately, he went to a witch, fell on his own sword, kind of like Judas hung himself and Ahithophel hung themselves. Uh, those that kind of reject the Lord often self-destruct. And of course, too, he kept repeatedly trying to kill David out of jealousy. Yeah. Even though Jonathan was trying to talk him out of it. Yeah, Saul was really possessed by pride, too, because he so wanted so much for his dynasty to continue that he he tried to thwart the purpose of God in picking David. It was just a thought. Okay. Hey, we thank you very much, Rick, for your call. Hope, good question. Hope that helps a little. Thank you. Next caller that we have is uh, Emmanuel listening from Massachusetts. Emmanuel, welcome to the program. How you doing, Pastor? Good. How can we help you tonight? Uh, yeah, um, my question is, is it a sin to listen to secular music? All right, just for our friends that are listening, you've got uh, two kinds of general music that a, a Christian would categorize things in. You've got your sacred music, which is Christian music. It's got uh, biblical themes and theology. And then you have secular music, which is going to be music that is not necessarily sacred. Not all secular music is bad. You might, uh, you have to look at the individual songs. You could be singing a patriotic song, uh, you know, just this land is your land, this land is my land, a folk song. You have to look at the words and certain types of music. Uh, you know, if you sing a lullaby, if you sing Mary Had a Little Lamb While You Put Your Baby to Sleep, that's certainly not sinful. It's a secular song, uh, though some argue that Mary in the story is Mary, the mother of Jesus. But, uh, you know, Michael, row your boat ashore. Then again, some people argue that Michael is <laughs> is Jesus. So, you know, there's, you're throwing, what am I looking for? Twinkle, twinkle, there you go. Twinkle, twinkle, little. Who 
What parent out there has not heard their kid play Twinkle Twinkle when they were learning piano or violin or something? That's a secular song, but there's nothing wrong with it. But there is secular music that in the words, so the music is very uh, raucous and, it's, you know, there's sacred music and there's kind of diabolical music sounds and words. You can have beautiful music that's got evil words. Frank Sinatra used to sing a song, I Did It My Way. Well, the, the devil could sing that song. Uh, beautiful melody, but the message wasn't really good. And then I've heard people try and put good words to diabolical music, and that never works. I, I hope this is making sense, but, you know, Emmanuel, I've got a CD you can listen to online for free. It's actually YouTube. It's on the Christian and Music and if you just type in Doug Batchelor in that title on YouTube, I think it'll take you there. Okay. goes into a lot more detail, but music. Now, we got a book, don't we? We've got uh, a book that uh, talks about a few notes on music by Louis Torres. It's a small book. It talks. I think we might have something on music. Yeah. Well, we need to look at that on the website, Pastor. Well, you know what? You can you could take a run at it, Emmanuel. Just call Amazing Facts and say, can I have your sermon book on music? I wonder what they'd send you. <laughs> or you can look at the YouTubes online, but... Um, it's a deep subject. You know, we do have a book called Culture and the Christian. Oh, there you go. That, that might touch on some of that, and uh, and I think that's addressed in there as well. Again, the number is 800-835-6747, and you can ask for the book called Culture and the Christian, and again, we'll send it out to anyone who calls and asks. Uh, let's see. we got Mark listening from Michigan. Mark, welcome to the program. We have just a few minutes. Oh, good evening. Yes, uh, my question, um, I know the Ten Commandments are eternal. Sacrificial law is no longer are performed because they were fill, filled in Jesus. But what about some other laws in Leviticus? In 12, 6, talks about after birthing, mother's unclean for two weeks. In 15, 16, talking about bodily fluids, unclean for a time. And in chapter 19, talks about don't mar the corners of your beard. And in 21, it talks about uh, not making baldness on your head. Now, I'm trying to figure out what are the principles behind that. Which laws do you keep and which... Yeah, how do you uh, yeah how do you discern? Well, all right. First of all, let me touch on quickly on the ones that you've just mentioned. There are several categories of law. You got some are health law, some are ceremonial law, some are civil laws. God also had like some moral laws. He said, "Do not mar the corners of your beard." You read later in Leviticus, he says, "Do not cut the corners of your beard for the dead," and he talks about making yourself bald for the dead because the pagans had a custom to show you were mourning they would cut themselves they'd cut off their beards uh, and god says look don't do anything like that to yourself for the dead so that was really something that still applies today you know god doesn't want us mutilating ourselves or our appearance when we're in mourning christians have a blessed hope and we're not supposed to act like the pagans do as far as the laws of purification for a woman giving birth those i think fell under the category of spiritual laws connected with the sanctuary obviously a woman doesn't have to wait eight weeks when she goes to church we don't have a temple anymore so coming you know to worship the lord uh, back in bible times they figured any bodily issue was a symbol of sin and you were not to come into the presence of the sacred confines of the sanctuary in that condition uh, I think those laws are ceremonial laws that have been nailed to the cross. They have spiritual meaning. And uh, I think you mentioned one other I don't remember. And some of them were civil laws. You just kind of go through them, and Moses lumps them all together. I think some of it related not only to ceremonial, but also to health. And you have some health principles uh, as well that Moses speaks of. And um, there's good health principles behind it. Maybe the application is a little different today. But the principle's good. I mean, you've got to wash your hands if you're going to be 
preparing food. And I mean, there's some practical principles there. If you found a dead mouse inside a, a clay pot, you were to break it. But if it was a metal pot, you could wash it. And that's just a practical sanitation. It would, the porous clay, it would permeate. Hey, I hope that helps a little bit. Mark, we are out of time. Uh, listening friends, we're going to have some important closing announcements. We always hope that you hang on for the caboose and hear what's going on with the ministry. But uh, we just want to remind you how much we appreciate your tuning in. The only way Amazing Facts is able to do this. We have no corporation or denomination that underwrites this. It's people like you. If you've been blessed by these programs and want to keep it on your station, click Amazing Facts and then click Donate. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.